reading today. John 18, and we're going to read verse 1 through verse 18. John 18, verse 1 through verse 18. And let's go ahead, if uh, you're physically able to stand, let's stand together and uh, in honor to the scriptures. And let's read verse 1 through verse 18 of John uh, chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, and there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore you seek me, let these, if therefore you seek me, let these go their way. Uh, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which, which uh, thou, the, uh, thou gavest me, I have lost none. Then Simon, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band of the captains and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which was a high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known to the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art, uh, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. And the servants and the officers stood there, who made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Our Father, we ask that you'd uh, help us to understand what you want us to get from the passage of Scripture we've read today. And we uh, think of this very uh, troubled time in, our, in the uh, uh, last hours of our Savior's life on earth. And uh, Father, we see the, the uh, band of men that Judas stood with, and here we see Peter stood with them and warmed his hands at their fire. Lord, we, we need to answer that question today. Who, who are we going to stand with? So, Father, help us to, to be clear in our choices as to where we stand 
and who we stand with. Ask your blessing on the reading of thy word now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you remain standing, we'll sing our last hymn and we'll forego the uh, usual um, handshake and welcome time. But uh, day by day, the Bible tells us he daily loadeth us with benefits. His children, so God has been good. He's never bad. He's always good and thank the Lord for that. Uh, take your Bible back to John 18 if you would, uh, please. And I asked the question this morning, where are you standing? Where are you standing? The Kidron Valley, where Jesus is referring to here, that they passed through, was about 50 feet deeper then than it is now. And down the valley floor, it was nearly all, all the time in shadow. And certainly it was this time of night, if there was any shadow at all, it was a moon shadow at this time of a night. And Jesus and the disciples passed through that valley. And as they were on their way down and then as they were on their way back up again, they were passing many sepulchers where the dead were buried. I have no doubt that Jesus must have brought to mind the 23rd Psalm as he walked down through there. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. On the other side of the valley, there's a familiar place there when you go to Israel and have the opportunity to visit uh, the land of Israel. You'll go from the um, streets of Jerusalem and you're going to be able to uh, walk on that same way down through the uh, valley there and across the brook Kidron and uh, up the other side. And uh, you will see the sepulchers there today. And you will be reminded of um, this passage of Scripture as you do that. As you get to the, uh, near the, uh, nearing the uh, crest of the hill on the other side, and you're coming to a, a beautiful garden, as they call it. It's actually a, a, an olive yard and a, a quiet place, a beautiful place, a, a place that hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. And it was in this garden in Gethsemane where the Lord Jesus was. Uh, Oft uh, resorted, the scripture tells us here, he was there quite a bit with his disciples and uh, they were there and they would no doubt uh, hear the word of Jesus and they would pray together in that quiet and peaceful place. But tonight it's a place of great turmoil. It's a place of betrayal and arrest, the arrest of Jesus, the, uh, the guilty arresting the innocent. And it's a, a place of great uh, trial and turmoil for the disciples and for our Lord. The the passage goes on and we get to verse 5 and we read those words that uh, Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Who was it he was standing with? We see who it was in verse 3. Judas, having received a band of men, a band of men, and he stood with them. He knew where to find the Lord Jesus because he'd been there with them often enough. He'd been part of that company for the times that Jesus called the disciples. And so he was there as often as were the other disciples in that garden, in that place. He was there hearing the teaching of Jesus and there praying with them. At least he was giving the pretense of prayer with them in that place. But he knew where they were. He knew where they would be uh, when the time to betray them uh, him came. And um, it, must have, it must have galled Judas no end when the disciples were gathered together in the Passover and instituted at that time was the first communion. 
the first time that our Lord indicated to his disciples that uh, these elements of the fruit of the vine and the uh, unleavened bread would represent his, his uh, broken body and his shed blood. And he made it very clear to them that uh, he was uh, coming near to that point where he would give himself a sacrifice for many. I think perhaps Judas understood this a little better maybe than the others did. It must have galled him in his heart to hear the Lord referring to his kingdom being one which is not of this world. And uh, he made that very clear in the, in the last days he had with his disciples that my kingdom is not of this world. And he made it clear that if it was, he could call 12 legions of angels to come down and, and to take over. And, uh, and he said, uh, no, my kingdom is not of this world. Those were the last words that Judas wanted to hear. Judas' desire was much different than, than Jesus' desire was. Oh, he put up with the spiritual talk and he put up with the praying and he put up with all of the other things that went on around the ministry of Jesus as long as he could hold out the hope that there would be a kingdom established, that it would be an earthly kingdom and an immediate kingdom and that he would have some prominent place in it. He, uh, he understood, I'm sure, at the Last Supper, the others were still to some degree in denial that this would happen, that Jesus would literally die in, in the day following and they, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. And so, um, in fact, the, the Bible makes it clear that many of the things that Jesus said didn't sink in until after the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, they were going back in their minds over all the different things that Jesus had said and had told them would come to pass and that three days and three nights he would be in the, in the heart of the earth. And all those things came flooding back to their minds. They remembered every time that he had said that and they put the two together finally. But at this time, maybe only Judas got it. Maybe only Judas understood that Jesus was not here now to set up an earthly and immediate kingdom and to take over the world and to throw out the Romans and to make the nation of, the, of Israel the prominent and dominant nation in the world. That was his heart. That was his desire. Simon the Zealot had the same heart, but Simon the Zealot uh, was genuine in his conversion to Christ. And Simon the Zealot laid down his uh, his zealot's mind and his zealot's heart to follow the zeal of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not Judas. Judas uh, now finds a different company. He's had it. He's done with the company he's been keeping the last three years of the ministry of Jesus and he's looking for a different band of men. And it isn't long he finds them in the company of those that were the enemies, the avowed enemies of the Lord Jesus, the ones that were the self-proclaimed uh, uh, enemies of Christ, the ones who desired to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ and destroy his ministry. It's that band of men that Judas now allies himself with. It says in verse 3, Judas then having received a band of men. He received a band of men. He embraced a band of men, much different from the band of men we've read about in the scriptures here. The disciples were a band of men committed to the will of Jesus Christ, committed to following him and obeying him and 
learning of him, a band of men. We read again of a band of men in the uh, Old Testament. We see David has a, a group of men that were uh, uh, the, the um, individuals that were uh, more or less the outcasts of society that were gathering themselves to him. And as he taught them and as they learned to pray and as they recognized the call of God on David's life, as they saw that David was indeed anointed of God, as these men saw that, they threw in with them and with him and they committed themselves to him and to the will of God. The scripture refers to that group of men that were David's mighty men. They were called David's mighty men, but they were also called a band of men, a band of men. And so they were the kind of men, they were the, that's the kind of band that we would want to associate ourselves with as the children of God. Not so with, uh, with uh, Judas here. He's got a different kind of a band of men. These men are not fighting for right, but they're fighting for the will of the Pharisees and they're fighting for their own desires and their own ambition. That's these men. That's this band of men. Now the night is lit up by torches and lanterns. and uh, Some of the commentaries tell us that this company could have numbered in the hundreds that was coming to arrest the Lord Jesus. They had seen what he was capable of. They recalled the many times when they thought they had him, but he uh, walked out of the midst of them and they were held back by some force, some power beyond their reckoning, beyond their understanding. They remembered those times and so doubtless it was a sizable company of men that uh, were uh, gathered together that night by the uh, help of Judas and by the guidance of Judas. The scripture says that Judas was guide to them that took him. He was guide to them that took him. Isn't that a sad uh, a sad truth that uh, the one who was teaching uh, the disciples to guide men into truth, one of those was guiding men to, uh, to arrest and destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thing. So here they come with torches and here they come with lanterns and we hear the sound of metal against metal, the clinking and clanking of weaponry. And uh, they're coming to take the Lord Jesus. And so um, their intention perhaps was to take them all and to be done with all of them. But they're coming uh, well prepared for what their uh, act will be. The crowd is there and here is Judas who steps forth out of the midst of this band of men that he's with. He steps forth and he embraces the Lord Jesus in an ultimate traitorous act of betrayal uh, plants a kiss on his cheek. He's told them the one that I kiss, the one that I embrace that's the one. He's the one. These persons obviously in the darkness of the night and the, and the confusion of the crowd and everything wondered whether uh, they would uh, immediately spot him but, G but Judas said no problem. I'll, I'll point him out. I'll make it clear to you who he is. And so he's doing his traitorous act and, uh, and uh, he is uh, identifying himself with that band of men. David stood with his band of men and they stood with him, but now these appear who have been plotting the destruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read those words 
Judas stood with them. Judas stood with them. So my question this morning is to all of us. My question is, who do you stand with? Who do you stand with today? Will you be standing with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you standing with Him? Do you identify with Him and He with you? And where do you stand? Do you stand with Him? Who is it that you stand with today? Who is it that I stand with today? Will you be with that band of men like David's men who gathered around the king and, and his kingdom, the uh, Lord Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Will it be he that you identify with? He's your band. He's your kind of people. He, his people are your people. Is that the band of men? I hope so. I hope it is today that that's the crowd you want to be part of, that that's the one you want to be identified with, that that's the group of people that you're not ashamed to be called with, to be named with. I hope that's the case today. Or is it that you will be found standing with those who oppose the will of the Lord and oppose the way of the Lord? I hope that if that is where you are today, that you'll leave that band and join the one that's gathered around the King of Kings. Who is it? Where will you stand? Are you standing there with the opposers of the Lord? Well, preacher, I'm not, I'm not openly opposing Christ and so on, but, but who's the crowd you're standing with? Who do you identify with? Who do you hang with? Uh, where are you found in the uh, course of the week and the month? And who is it that you best connect with? Is it the nightclub crowd and the casino crowd and the beer hall band that is uh, the band of men that uh, uh, are more familiar? Or is it the people of God in the house of God and the things of God? Do you think Judas would choose the crowd at church or the crowd down at the theater hall for his band of men? If Judas was choosing where to stand, would he stand down there or, or out here? I I know you know the answer to that question, that he would choose the casino, the dance hall, the bar, the nightclub, the theater hall. He would choose any other place than the house of God and the people of God. He, his band of men is a different crowd and he's identifying with them which have said that the, this time and now and the immediate and the kingdom and power and possessions, it's now, it's here, it's what we want now. And that's the group that Judas wanted to identify with. In the midst of all that, we see the Lord Jesus Christ bringing our focus where it needs to be, bringing their focus where it needs to be. Three times in the passage, he identified himself. I am he. If you have the authorized version of your Bible, you notice that the word he is in italics. That's one of the great benefits of having the authorized version of the scriptures because the translators were very honest in their translation and if the word didn't appear in the Hebrew or Greek or the Aramaic uh, and they put it in for clarification, they put the italicis there so that you'd understand that that was added simply to make the, the sentence make sense to us in English. Uh, but, the, but the fact is he spoke two words. When, if we could be there and hear him say the words, the words would be, I am. That's what Jesus spoke to them. Two words. Two powerful words. 
Because there wasn't a person there that didn't understand what he just said. He just said, I am God. I am God. The great I am. He used the, exactly the same phrase that uh, God uh, introduced himself to, Ab- to Moses as when he stood on the mount. Uh, Whom shall I say sent me, said Moses. And God said, I am that I am. <laughs> and so the Lord Jesus Christ used the same two words, I am. And you recognize the power of God in two simple words. Uh, Here, this army of men, this band of men, all were found now lying down on their backs. And they all went backward and fell down. They, They stumbled back and they fell down. So Jesus blows over an army with two words. I am. All of them are laying down there on their backs and they're stunned and and in disbelief, and Jesus walks up to them. I can almost see it. He walks across the opening there, and he says, Who's, Whom seekest thou? And they didn't say with the same scorn they had first said it, Jesus of Nazareth. You know, that town where nothing good comes out of. Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, that's the one we're seeking, the guy from Nazareth. Now he's walking to them, Whom seek ye? And in a trembling and a fearful voice, they're saying, Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> you know, and it's altogether a different attitude then. And he said to them, if it's me you're seeking, then let these others go. Let these others go. But the power uh, of the word of God is what we see here in Matthew 8 and verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. He's come to Jesus to ask for help for the healing of his daughter and of his servant, and, and Jesus responds to, to him in, in doing that. But the centurion understood the power of the word of God because he said this. He said, I'm not worthy, Lord, for you to even come under my roof. But I'm going to ask you this. He said, speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. Here's a Roman centurion that understood the power of the word of God better than any Pharisee understood it. Lord, speak the word, and I know right now my servant shall be healed. The power of the word of God. Mark 5 and verse 41 says that this way took the damsel by the hand, and this is Jesus, and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Talitha kumai, two words, and the dead arises the power of the word of God. John chapter 11, verse 43, we read it earlier on. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And with three words came out of the tomb, a man dead three days, four days, and, uh, and uh, the grave closed still about him. But the word, the power of the word of Christ, the word of God, And so it is with Jesus here before these others. His deity is proclaimed very clearly here as he stands before them. So Judas stood with them. Jesus stands between. And there on the other side is the disciples. But the scripture we just read, we saw something remarkable. We saw the same words applied to Peter as we saw applied to Judas. We see Peter stood with them. It's a tragic statement, but it is a truth. Peter stood with them. 
Jesus had let himself be bound while giving the opportunity of the, uh, for the disciples to go their way. He said, let these go their way. And he says the same thing today to you and to I who claim to be his disciples. He said, let these go their way. He's leaving the choice for who we will follow and where we will go up to us. It's still not something that we're by force and power ordained to do to follow Jesus Christ. He said, let these go their way. Let them have their choice. And so most of them did, uh, as we see in the uh, remaining Gospels, as we read the accounts in the remaining Gospels, we find that they fled and they did. Most of them went their way, but two of them did not. Two of them remained near the Lord Jesus. One was Peter, as we see him here, and one was John. Peter, in his impetuousness, uh, in a moment of courage, uh, pulls out a sword and he begins flailing wildly, apparently. Malchus fortunately ducked, or he'd probably been beheaded, but uh, he ducked to the side and it caught his ear, cut off his ear. Uh, we don't see the account here, but we see the Lord Jesus picking up the ear, blowing the dust off of it, and planting it back on the head of Malchus. I can imagine all the rest of that evening he was feeling his ear to see if it was really there. You know, uh, All the rest of that time he was doing that. And so uh, uh, Peter in a moment of courage uh, takes a stand and thinks this is what we got to do. But Peter's going back to the mentality of uh, a kingdom won by force and power. And Jesus said, no, Peter, put your sword away. Uh, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> if it were of this world, then, then we'd fight. We'd fight. Uh, but it's not of this world. So, Peter, put your sword away. And what a, what a uh, change came over Peter's countenance as he realized that by the power of his flesh he wasn't going to be able to do anything to help. And the fear began to enter Peter's heart and the, uh, the wonder at what would happen to him now, what would happen to Jesus now, what would ha happen to John, what would happen to him now that they're still present there while the others had fled away. And those questions are all going through Peter's mind as the fear of man begins to creep in. And, and um, so here we find ourselves in that circumstance, the fear of man. John was there and we, uh, we see that uh, his decision was to stay close to Jesus. and He did that. John followed where Jesus was and he stayed where Jesus was. But Peter's slipping a little bit here. He's fumbling a little bit. He's like so many of us uh, who have times in our life when our footing is a little slippery and we're not really sure. We want to stand where Jesus is standing, where, where the heat is, where it's hard and where it's hot and where there's trials, we're not sure anymore. And I still need to ask us the question, where do we stand? Where are we standing? Here's, here's, um, here's John. Here's John in the right place. And, and uh, here's Peter slipping, uh, settling for something other than the closeness that he uh, should have with Jesus Christ settling for something less than that. Where are you standing? Where am I standing today? Psalm 1 says it this way, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Because standing in the way of sinners soon, end up, soon ends up being the remainder of the phrase, which says, 
sitteth in the seat of the scornful. It isn't long you're standing in the way of sinners, but then that you've made your home there and you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Those that scorn the Bible, scorn the Lord, scorn the truth, scorn the way of God. And, and he said, blessed is a man that doesn't walk in that council, doesn't stand in the company of sinners, doesn't identify himself with that band of men whose interest is only in this present world and what can be gained from it. So important for us to get that. Psalm 73 says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, the psalmist said, My feet were almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped. I was slipping. I was sliding. I was falling back. I was not standing with God where I know I needed to be. And he gives us the reason why. The psalmist tells us why he got into that place. He said, for I was envious of the foolish. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw there was no bands in their death. Their strength is firm and they're not in trouble as other men and, and they're not plagued like other men. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, why is it that I'm trying to serve God and all this difficulty is happening, all this hardship is happening. I'm having trouble just making ends meet and I'm trying to serve God and I look out in the world and I see all these worldly people that are partying up and having a good time and going to the casino and the, uh, and the bar and the craft beer places and having a good time and partying and carrying on and they're prospering in their jobs and they're getting promoted and all this good stuff is happening to them and I'm struggling. What in the world is that all about, God? He said, it's just too painful for me until... I went to the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. He said, I got it then. I realized that their life was just the here and now and they had nothing in the hereafter. Their life was just to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and that was it. And then to pay the penalty of a life wasted. He said, I didn't get that. I didn't really remember it. I didn't recall that until I got back to the house of God and got among the people of God and realized we're not living for this present kingdom. We're living for the kingdom to come and a much greater benefit of eternity than a little pleasure here and there for a few moments now. And so it was that uh, Judas traded that which was eternal for that which was temporal. And the psalmist said, I got it. I understood therein. Now I realize that I don't have any reason to envy the prosperity of the wicked. I don't have any reason to do that. In fact, I say, you know, that's all they've got. Give them the moment because it's all they've got. And so it is. Exodus 33 says it this way. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon the rock. There's a place by me. Jesus got a place for us to stand by him. And thou shalt stand upon the rock. Thank God for that. John is in that place. He's in the place where Jesus is arrested. He's in the place where Jesus is accused. He's there present with the Lord in the middle of all that, not knowing that he himself may be next. He himself may be accused along with Jesus. He is not concerning himself with that. Uh, but he's there with Jesus and he's in the right place. But verse 16, we read that the Bible tells us Peter stood at the door without. Peter stood at the door outside. He didn't go in with John. He hung back. He didn't step in with John and step up with John. And he laid back and 
John looked back and Peter's no longer there with him. He's looking at him through the gates and he's outside the door and he's hemming and hawing. And, and uh, Scripture says Peter stood without the door. I wonder today how many of you that are Christians, Peter didn't lose his salvation. He's, he's saved and no matter what happens to Peter, he's going to heaven. You know, no matter what happens to Peter, he's going to deny the Lord. He's still going to heaven, but uh, no matter what happens to Peter, he's, he's saved. And maybe, maybe some of us are where Peter's at. We're saved, but we're miserable because we're, we're really not all in. We're just standing outside the door. And we're saying, I just want to be here where I know it's relatively safe. I don't want to really be too close to the center, to the epicenter of the will of God because it's really not, might not be safe there for me. There might be opposition. There may be uh, conflict. There may be trouble. There may be those that hate me for it. And so I'm just going to take the safe road and I'm going to stand outside the gate here and just in the quiet, in the darkness. I don't want to be identified too much with Christians and Christianity and Christ and the Bible. Uh, I work in a place where I'm surrounded by people that uh, talk about anything but the Bible and anything but the Lord and I, uh, in the midst of all that. And, and uh, so I'm just going to play it safe here and, and um, I'm going to fly under the radar, so to speak. And that's where Peter was at, and I have to ask us the question, where are we standing? Where are we standing? You see, to be at the door is different than coming in the door. To be at the door is different than coming in the door. I'm glad you made it to the parking lot of the church, but I'm glad you didn't stay in your car. <laughs> I'm glad you came in the door, and uh, we're gathered together in the door, you know, and so uh, thank God for those that gather in the door, and that's the question that Peter has on his mind there, but note that uh, the Bible doesn't say when the opportunity came and John said to the girl that was uh, at the gate there, let uh, Peter come in. The Bible doesn't say, and Peter came in, does it? What's it say? It says, uh, and John brought him in. <laughs> I think he almost dragged him in, <laughs> so... Uh, he said, Peter, come on, let's go. <laughs> come on, the Lord Jesus is in his trial. He's, uh, he's uh, being accused. Let's, uh, be, let's remain uh, at his side. Let's remain at his feet. And so he brings Peter in. He brings Peter on in. But the, uh, the sad thing is that Peter had thrown in with the, with the same crowd that uh, Judas had thrown in with. Uh, as time goes on, we read in verse 18, he's in. He's inside the gate. But he is stopped again and he's seen John go on up the steps and into the palace uh, there and near where Jesus is being accused before Annas and Caiaphas. And, and uh, John is somewhere in the midst there. He's somewhere in support there. But Peter's saying, this is about as far as I want to go. And I got in the gate. I'm in the yard. So um, let's just call that good. And so... It's cold night out and the scripture says that Peter went over to the crowd there and he places his hands over the same fire that these ones that had just been part uh, and party to the arrest of Jesus were. He's, he's in that same crowd that Judas has gathered together, that Judas has assembled. These, here's Peter with that same band of men. He's so out of place and you're so out of place and I'm so out of place when we gather with the crowds that are uh, taunting our Lord and mocking our Lord and ridiculing the truth of the Bible and we gather with them and we, uh, aren't, aren't, 
willing to say anything about our faith in Christ because we don't want to be humiliated and embarrassed and mocked and ridiculed. And so we're gathered at the fire of those that oppose all that we stand for and and we don't speak a word. That's where Peter was. Peter stood with them. But now instead of just not declaring, he's, he's openly denying the Lord. As they said to him one after another, you were with them. You were with them. One of the relatives of Malchus, he must have been there pretty close. He said, I saw Malchus get his ear lopped off, and I kind of think it was you that did it. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and uh, Peter said, I wasn't even there. I don't even know the guy. I deny him altogether. And we read on in other Gospels that he began to curse and to swear uh, in his denial. So um, what a... What a uh, place from the day before where Peter had said, Lord, do all men, all men deny you. I'll stand with you. I'll be there with you. You can count on me. And here, just a day later, he's denying that he even knows the Lord. So what happened? What went on? He's there warming his hands while his heart grows colder and colder. We see what happened. We see that his company that he was keeping had a great deal of effect on, on uh, what he said and what he did. It isn't changed at all, brothers and sisters. The company that we keep does have a great deal of effect on what we say and how we act and what we do. The places we go, the choices we make, the, the things that we do, they all have an effect on our uh, testimony and on whether or not we uh, are going to stand with the Lord or stand with the world. And so we find John standing with the Lord through all of this. As we, If we had time to read on down through, we'd see the account uh, of John there where he uh, should be. We see the Lord Jesus being accused and struck and we see John there where he should be through all of this. And that's where we all ought to want to be. Uh, but thankfully we know the end of the story because we have the scriptures. We know that Peter didn't remain among the wrong band of men. Peter didn't stay there. And I don't need to stay there. You don't need to stay there. We don't need to stay if we found ourselves in, among the wrong band of men. We don't need to stay there. We need to do what Peter did. He repented of his uh, weakness, of, of his fear of men. He repented and returned to the place where God wanted him. And we find that God restored Peter fully to his blessings. And we find that Peter was among the giants of the faith uh, as we read through the book of Acts. And we see him standing before the same crowd that he'd been fearful of days before. Six weeks later, he's standing before this great multitude of Jews and he's preaching unto them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he's declaring unto them the resurrection. And he goes even further than that. He points his long bony finger out that crowd there and says, you're the one who crucified him. And you're the one responsible because your sins put him there. <laughs> he's not fearful anymore. He's not afraid of what they might do to him anymore. He's not afraid of being identified with his Lord anymore. He's all in and he's at the place God wants him to be. So that's where you and I need to be today. Maybe you're a Christian and you haven't really been like John, really trying to follow as close to the Lord as you can and wanting to get all in for the Lord. And maybe you, like all of us, have probably been there times in our life or like Peter, 
uh, more, more wrapped up in the band of men that's, you know, representing the things of this present world and the evils of this present hour. We find ourselves more in that camp and knowing we're not comfortable, we're not where we should be there, but uh, we're there. Uh, we, can, we can do what Peter did. The Bible says when he met the eyes of Jesus coming out of the judgment hall there, the Bible tells us that their eyes locked together and, and Peter recalled to mind the words that Jesus had spoken to him before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter counted up the times, one, two, three times I denied him, one before the little girl, afraid of a little girl, you know, in the, in the gate. You're one of them, weren't you? You were one of them. You were with them, weren't you? No, no, I wasn't, you know, afraid of a little girl, you know. And then two more times as he warmed his hands by the enemy's fire, denying, 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 and he remembered that. And the Bible says he recalled to mind the words which Jesus spake, and he went out and wept bitterly. What was he doing? He was repenting. He was asking the Heavenly Father to forgive him of his weakness and his frailty and his, and his inability to stand for his Savior. And God restored him fully. He was greatly used of God after that. That's where we want to be. We want to be repentant. We want to be standing, not outside the gate, but all in with John and with Jesus. Judas' real motives are revealed in the other gospel accounts. We see some of it here, but we see, as we read all four of the gospels, we see clearly what Judas', Judas motives were. And Judas' motives were simple. They were the love of money, like many people have today, the love of money. He had that. Uh, they were, his, mo his motives were that he expected a place of power and prominence in the earthly kingdom that he hoped Jesus would set up. And uh, so rather than repent, when confronted with the truth, when Jesus confronted him there in the upper room with the truth, Rather than repent and fall on his knees and trust Christ as his Savior, he betrayed the Lord and his life came to its very bitter end. As the Bible says, he went and cast the 30 pieces of silver on the floor of the praetorium there and went out and hanged himself. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Let me assure you that you don't want to go to the place that Judas went. I don't want to be in that place where the Bible describes as his own place. It's not a place anyone should want to go. And so um, I want to encourage you, if you, if you haven't uh, come to the Savior, if you haven't been born again, if you've never come to that point in life where you said, I'm going to come all out for Jesus, I'm going to identify with Him, I'm going to receive Him, I'm going to receive Him and trust Him as my Savior I thank the Lord for those that have done that even this week and uh, in our Pendleton ministry even this morning 18 young men trusted Christ as their Savior out in the base there and thank God for those in the in the jail ministry that this week called on Christ and were saved gloriously wonderfully saved and thank God for everyone that trusts Jesus as their Savior wherever they are and however it happens but thank God for that and you can be among that crowd as well coming coming out for Jesus and saying I'm not with Judas I want to be where Jesus is and I want to be uh, identified with that band of men, that band of uh, soldiers, that band of saved people. So uh, let me encourage you to come and trust Christ as your Savior today if you haven't already been saved. If you have and uh, the Lord has uh, uh, convicted you about uh, some other response, maybe you say, well, I, I, wasn't, 
I didn't get all the way over where Peter did in denying the Lord, but but I my feet slip sometimes. I do get I do stumble sometimes, and I'm I'm not really where I should be with the Lord. And so, Christian, let me ask you to to uh, to come back and and to get all in with Jesus. Come through the gate and. Uh, don't just stand in the yard, get right in there with the presence of our Lord. And so let me ask you, Christian, to consider what your part might be in that. You may be here and you, you um, need a church home. You believe this is where God wants you to be and thank God for that. Uh, you come. Maybe you're here and you've been biblically saved. You're born again. You know it. But you haven't been obedient to the Lord in believer's baptism. And so uh, maybe you want to, to uh, come and present yourself for the next time we baptize. We're going to be baptizing uh, a, a young man today that trusted Christ as his Savior, and and uh, maybe uh, next week you'll you'll be uh, among those that need to follow the Lord in baptism as well. Whatever the need is, I want to encourage you to come. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed, and nobody's looking about. We're going to sing 140 in just a minute. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. And so, 140 in your hymn book, I believe it is, beneath the cross of Jesus, and. And so um, we're going to sing that in just a few moments. But let me ask you with their heads bowed and no one looking about, would you say, would there be somebody to say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I don't know that uh, I could say uh, I'm a child of God and I'm, uh, and I'm saved. I'm not sure that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure there's really been a time where I came all out for Jesus and, I, and was born again. But I'm concerned enough to say, at least to say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you lift your hand if that might be you today, Pastor? Would you pray for me? I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure if I died and go to heaven. I'm not sure what happened to me, but I'm concerned enough to say pray for me. Is there someone like that that says, I don't know yet. I haven't come to that point yet. Pray for me. All right. You're saved already. Thank God for that. And thank God for the fact that you'll, he'll never leave you or forsake you. But maybe you're here today and there's some things that God has been dealing with your heart about. And I want to encourage you to respond to the invitation and just come and Bring them to the altar and take care of business with the Lord. Let's stand together. We'll sing 140. And uh, those that are preparing to be baptized can slip out now and get ready. And, and then um, those of you that need to come, come on ahead, will you, as we sing 140.